Well, today we're going to look in the scripture at John chapter 1, verse 16. John chapter 1, verse 16. It's the fourth gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 116. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. Let us pray. Lord, we pray that the power of your Holy Spirit would come and visit with us today. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand this, these, this one small verse, that we would understand the fullness of God today. And the grace upon grace that has been provided for us. We are so grateful, Lord, for your word. Speak to us through it this day. And we ask this in your wonderful name. Amen. Years ago, I went on a trip to Mexico with 186 teens and adults. We took four motor coaches. It was quite the ordeal. It was a trip for southwest Ohio, our district. And uh, we spent the whole year planning for that, doing fundraisers and, and uh, planning for the trip itself. While we were there, we built eight houses in Juarez. And it was just exciting. It was an exciting time. Well, one of the churches that went with us was a church called the Vandalia Church of the Nazarene. And uh, one of the sponsors that went along on that trip, well, he was a big guy. He was probably about 6'3", uh, close to 300 pounds, just a, just a big guy. And I, and I saw him get on the coach, and I, and I thought, man, this 28-hour trip is going to be hard on him. And I saw Fred that day when he got off the coach 28 hours later. He was just dragging. You could see that, you know, riding in a coach in a little tiny seat for 28 hours was a lot for him. And he was just dragging out of that motor coach, and I thought, I wonder what Fred thinks about me now. And then we... Uh, got ready for our next day and we had our first work project and uh, the work project the very first day you actually pour the slab of the house and the slab is 11 foot by 22 foot and you mix all the concrete the rock the sand and the cement by hand you actually make volcanoes on where the slab is going to be and you add water to it, and then you mix it up, and you add more water to it, and you mix it up all by hand with shovels. And it's a lot of work. It's, a, it's very intense. Well, the night before, I, I brought our own chef with us, and, uh, and he prepared lunches for the kids as they would travel across the border. We had ice coolers. We filled up the coolers full of ice the night before so that all you had to do was put water in the cooler before you went off in that morning. Everything was set and all was prepared, all four coaches. One coach was at the lake and the other three coaches were going across the border to start their first day of work. Well, Fred's group, they forgot to get their water. The coolers were full of ice, but there was no water in the coolers, just packed full of ice. They had their sandwiches, and they each had their individual one-quart uh, water bottles that the, every student would take across with them, and that's all they had. There was no extra water, and I found out about that, and all day long I, I worried about Fred. You see, I saw Fred get off that coach, and just after 28 hours, he was just dragging. And I thought, Fred's got to be miserable today. And they are, now they're across the border, and they don't have enough water, and they're on their hardest day of work. And I worried about them all day long. 
as we worked to drink our water. That evening, we all came back, and it was a Sunday. We had traveled, and that was our first day. And, and we were going to go to a YMCA to shower and get cleaned up before the evening service. And, and uh, the students showed up, at the first group of students showed up at the YMCA, and their doors were closed. I had a contract in hand that clearly defined the dates that we would be there, and all the arrangements were made, and yet somehow the management didn't communicate with their employees, and the doors were closed. I saw Fred. He was hot, miserable. He was dragging. There was not enough water. They, they, I'm just thinking, what is Fred thinking? I kind of started worrying. You know, Fred probably doesn't like me very well right now. And every time I saw Fred, you know, and then I, he heard that there were no showers, and I saw Fred, and, and there were two showers in the entire church building that we were staying in at that time. And there's no way we could just use those two showers for all of us. Fortunately, one of my youth sponsors noticed a public pool. He said, let's just go to the public pool. And I thought, well, that's obvious. And so we took the kids to the public pool. We swam. We came back. That evening, Fred was looking at me, and he was still kind of dragging a little bit. And I thought, I don't think Fred likes me very well by now. <laughs> if my perception was that Fred wasn't happy with me, what have you got me into? Fred came to me, and I thought, uh-oh, here, here we go. He's going to let me have it. And Fred opened up his big arms, and he wrapped them around me and said, Rex, I want to tell you something. I'm so grateful that you planned this trip. Today, God moved in our midst in a wonderful way. I said, Fred, you didn't have water. He said, you know what? It was exciting to see how kids shared with one another and how we took what little we had and we made it work. And God used our students in a wonderful way. Thank you. You see, my perception was that Fred wasn't happy with me. I, I was afraid to have that conversation, but I was misguided in my perception. Years ago, I had a, a father that wasn't happy with our youth ministry. He was very vocal. It was very obvious to anyone that would listen that he wasn't happy with us. He even told me that he wasn't happy with our ministry. He did not like me. He made it very clear. And you know what? I didn't like him either. <laughs> you see, that's our natural response, isn't it? When someone doesn't like us, our immediate response is, well, I don't like you either. It's kind of a defense mechanism, if you will. And so, you know, he didn't like me, and I decided I didn't like him either. But the Lord began to speak to me and said, Rex, you know, you really don't have an option in this. First of all, you're a pastor, and you're supposed to love everyone, not just those who like you. And we're to love our neighbor as ourselves, as Christians, and okay, Lord. And so I made it a matter of prayer, and I began to pray for this father. And as I began to pray for this father, the Lord began to change my heart. And he increased the burden that I had for this family and for this father. And it was exciting to see how God began to break down the walls between he and I and how the Lord mended that relationship. Our perceptions influence our relationships. This is why 
what we perceive about God and what we think about God is supremely important. A.W. Tozer wrote this, and you'll see it there in your sermon notes. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Do you see that? What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. All of our relationships, including our relationships with God, are full of all kinds of perceptions. Some of them are healthy and accurate, and some of them are not. David stood against Goliath. His perception was that Goliath was nothing compared to a holy and almighty God. David looked at Goliath and saw a little boy, and he laughed at him. But the little boy, David, looked up at Goliath and knew that the battle was not his, but the battle was the Lord's. You see, everything consciously or unconsciously comes back to this one thing for us. Who do you believe God to be in your heart, in your gut? Who do you know that God is in your life? Do you see God as a cosmic cop who's just waiting for you to mess up so he can smack you on the back of the head the way that Gibbs smacks Denozo each week on NCIS? If so, you're going to live your life walking on eggshells, walking in fear. Do you see God as an absentee God who created the universe, who created the world, everything that we know and that we understand, and yet now he just stands back just to kind of observe what happens? But he's not ever present for your time of need? If so, you cannot comprehend this scripture today. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace. Do you view God as an angry judge? And you spend your life feeling guilty? You see, our perception of God is important. Or do you see God as a loving God who died for you and who died for me? He is immutable, God unchanging. He is holy. He is long-suffering. He is wise. He is truthful. He is faithful. He's loving. He's righteous. He's good. He's just. He's merciful. And he's much, much more. The truth is, we could spend all day long speaking about the attributes of God, and we could never do Him justice. The fullness of God. The word that John uses for the fullness of God is a great word, and it means the sum total of all that God is. The fullness of God. The sum total of all that God is has been given to you and to me. Do you see it there in that verse? Out of his fullness, we have received grace in place of grace. Earlier, the choir sang a song, Who can satisfy my soul like you? The verse of that song says, There is a fountain who is the king, victorious warrior and lord of everything, my rock, my shelter, my very own blessed redeemer, who reigns upon the throne. There's a fountain. All that God is, the sum total of all that God is, the fullness of God is provided for you and for me. Years ago, Irvin Zimmerman 
Arbutus' late husband, would quote these words. I'm not sure where the quote came from. I, I know that Dean Paulin had it in his Bible. When he passed away, I, I used that quote in his sermon. But that quote is, this quote has stayed with me. I, I tried to find it on the Internet to see if I could figure out who originally said these words. The quote is this. All that God is, it's that idea of the fullness of God, the sum total of all that God is. All that God is is available to the person that is available to all that God is. Isn't that powerful? All that God is, is available to the person that is available to all that God is. The fullness of God. And from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. In the fullness of Christ, your past is your past. 1 John 1, 7 says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light. You see that scripture? It says, but if we walk in the light. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, we say, Lord, I confess my need of you. I confess that I am a sinner. And we turn from our evil ways and we begin to walk towards God's righteousness and his holiness. And he takes us just as we are. And we have all this stuff and he keeps working on that stuff. And he's making us a new creation. And the scripture says, if we walk in the light, we can't continue to walk in darkness, folks. We can't continue to dis- disobey the Ten Commands. We can't continue to disobey God's word and say, I'm a Christian. The scripture says we must turn and we must begin to walk towards righteousness and holiness. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, purifies us from all sins. What that means is, is your past is your past. When you accept Christ as your Savior and Lord and ask Him to forgive you of your sins, your past, according to Psalms 103.12, are thrown as far as the east is from the west. So far as He removed our transgressions from us, the Scripture says. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. You see, it's the fullness of God has been made available to us. All that God is, the sum total of who God is, His love, His justice, His mercy, has been made available to us, those of us who are followers in Christ Jesus. In His fullness, God wishes to give you a fresh start, a new beginning. In His fullness, you can trust Him with your present troubles. The bottom line is you have to decide whether you're going to put your faith in God's identity or God's activity. You see, there's a big difference between the two. Because if you decide you're going to put your faith in God's activity, basically what you're saying is, I'm putting my faith in the circumstances of life, in the things that I can see with my eyes. And the truth is, probably a lot of Christians live this way. And that's why the majority live up and down lives spiritually, because they are putting their faith in what they can see and not what they cannot see, God's identity, who he is. So when everything is going great in your life and the money's flowing in and the job is great and your marriage is wonderful and you're here in church and you're praising the Lord, are you praising the Lord because... You have put your faith in God's identity, 
who He is, the fullness of God, the sum total of all that God is? Or is your faith in your circumstances? Are you on the mountain because of the goodness of life or because of the identity of God and all that God is? You can place your faith in God's identity who says He is. I am that I am. His identity that does not change regardless of circumstances. That you might be able to stand strong in times of adversity. Hebrews 13.5 says, God said, never will I leave you. And never will I forsake you. You must see Him for who He is. And you must place your faith in His identity. So regardless of what you go through in this life, you will have this incredible foundation on which to stand. The, script, the, the song says, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All that God is, all that God is, is available to the person that is available to all that God is. We have those moments in life all of us do, where life just doesn't turn out the way that we expected it to. For some of you, your marriages are in trouble. For some of you, you're in the midst of financial difficulties. For some of you, you're, you're in a job that you just don't like. It's a dead-end job from your perspective. And it's hard for you to get up on Monday mornings and go to work. Some of you have children who are making horrible decisions, and it's breaking your heart. Some of you are faced with the realities of battling cancer or some debilitating disease. And at times like these, it's easy to question, where is God? But the reality is that it rains on the just and the unjust alike. And just because we're Christians does not exempt us from the realities of this world. But the difference for those of us who are believers and those who are not is we have our faith not in God's activity, but in God's identity. In who he is. And so when we go through the adversities of life, we can stand full, understanding the fullness of God, the sum total. All that God is, is given to you and to me. His strength, his power, his grace is provided for us. We're guilty, aren't we? We put our faith in the things that we see. And yet the unchanging God speaks to us through this word, all that God is. The reason we often find ourselves feeling devastated in life is because there's something that we're depending upon to hold us up. And you can kind of categorize those into three things, things, persons, or plans. Okay, the things could be money. Uh, in this economy, how many of you have become discouraged because your 401Ks have taken such a dramatic beating? I look at my retirement years and I wonder how in the world that's going to happen when there's no interest coming in. And yet I'm a, quite a ways away from retirement. And we get to lean on things. Or how about those who are already in their retirement and, and their pensions that they had planned on, they've disappeared because the company went bankrupt and, and they've had to reorganize and what they expected is only half of what they were promised and now they're having to readjust their lives to accommodate 
just to survive. You see, it's easy for us to get discouraged by things. If we lean upon things, they will always let us down. Sometimes we find ourselves leaning upon people, persons. That person may be your spouse or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or even a fiancé. And couples who swallow the myth that their spouse can make them whole become dependent upon that partner in a way that is quite unhealthy. Experts call this an enmeshed relationship where the two are so dependent upon each other that they, if one was to walk away, the other would fall. I'm not talking about a healthy relationship between a husband and wife where you, you trust in one another, you believe in one another. I'm talking about an unhealthy relationship where you're so dependent, where this person is more important to you than God. And you're leaning upon that person. And when that person falls or when that person dies or when, when the situation breaks up, you are devastated. You see, too often we put, our, put our, our confidence in things and in people. Sometimes we put our confidence in plans and we lean upon our plans. The plan to get married or to have a certain job. Just this week, a young man was speaking to me, and he talked to me about his job and how his job um, has changed dramatically. For a long time, he had been a part of a, a project, and, and really, he kind of really felt his future was wrapped up in this project and, and all that it meant for his future. And yet, the company pulled the rug out from underneath his group, and they're no longer to go, go forward with that project. And things have changed dramatically. And he talked about how devastating it was. Always a good Christian guy and his dependence is on the Lord. And yet all of us, if we're not careful, we put our faith and our confidence in things and people and plans. When that thing or that person or that plan falls apart, a person, even a person with an uncanny sense of balance, is destined to fall. Out of his fullness, the scripture says, we have received grace in place of grace already given. I, I like the way the NASB version, the, actually it's the American Standard Version quotes this, and I'm going to read that in a minute. This word grace instead of grace, the Greek literally says it means grace instead of grace. This phrase John was expressing in this phrase, John is expressing the limitlessness of Christ. The truth is, the demands of our life uh, need a different grace for a different time of life. We need one grace in the days of prosperity and another grace in the days of adversity. We need one grace in our youth and another grace in the latter days of life. We need one grace as a church in the days of persecution is still yet another grace in the days of acceptance. We need one grace to bear our burdens and yet another grace to bear one another's burdens. The point is that the grace of God is never static. It's grace upon grace. It's, all, it's always a dynamic thing. The reason I like the way that the American Standard Version quotes this or translates this scripture is because it says, For in his fullness... We have all received grace for grace. Think about that. Grace for grace. God himself sent his one and only son for you and for me. 
his beloved to walk among us for 33 years to teach us how we ought to live. And when he came, he turned our world upside down. The last would serve. The last would become first. and The first would become last. He came to serve and not to be served. He, he changed our world forever. But he gave his life for you and for me. The father gave his son. The son gave his life on Calvary's tree for you and for me. He extended his grace while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us, for you and for me. His grace has been offered to us, not so that we could hoard it to ourselves, but so that we could have grace for grace. So we could share it with our world. So we can offer the love of Jesus Christ to those around us. So that we can offer grace to those who do not deserve grace. So we can extend mercy to those who do not deserve mercy. So we can be Christ's ambassadors of reconciliation. So that we can be a part of his great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. We have been saved for a purpose. Not just for ourselves. Grace has been given for grace. And God calls us to share this good news with our world. The rainbow was God's way of saying to Noah, I will be with you. The fullness of God, the sum total of all that I am is available to you. Will you choose to be with me? The birth of Isaac was God's way of saying to Abraham, I will be with you, Abraham. The sum total of all that I am, the fullness of God, is available to you. Will you choose to be with me? The provision of manna was God's way of saying to the people of Israel, Israel, I am with you. The fullness of God is available to you. Will you choose to be with me? The Jordan River piling up in a heap was God's way of saying to Joshua, Joshua, I am with you. Will you choose to be with me? The sound of Goliath hitting the ground was God's way of saying to David, 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 I know that they look upon you as a boy. But God looks upon the outward appearance. I mean, man looks upon the outward appearance, but God looks upon the heart. David, the fullness of God is with you. Will you choose to be with me? The bull being consumed by fire was God's way of saying to Elijah, Elijah, you are not alone. I am with you. The fullness of God is with you. Will you choose to be with me? The king's decree to the Jews to to allow them to defend themselves was God's way of saying to Esther, Esther, I heard your prayer. I heard you when you said, if I perish, I perish. I am with you. Will you choose to be with me? The completion of the wall was God's way of saying to Nehemiah, Nehemiah, I am with you and your people. Will you choose to be with me? The birth of Jesus Christ was God's way of saying to the world, I love you. All that I am has been given to you. God himself. I am with you. The fullness of God has been made available to you. Will you choose to be with me?
The cross of Jesus Christ was God's way of paying the ultimate sacrifice with his son. Paying, a sin, paying for your sins and for my sins. And on that cross, Christ gave his life for you and me. And the fullness of God has been made available for you and for me. And God says, I am with you. Will you choose to be with me? Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit burst forth into the scene, God was saying to the church, Church, I am with you. I will empower you. I will equip you. I will encourage you. I will support you. I will help you to accomplish more than you can accomplish in your own strength. Don't put your faith in my activity. Put your faith in my identity. I am that I am. I am God and I will be with you. Will you choose to be with me? And Jesus says to us, James chapter 4, God himself says, come near to God and he will come near to you. We are going to open the altars. And it may be that you're putting your faith in the circumstances of life. And it's not really working out that well for you. Know that God is with you. Will you put your faith in his identity? And who he is. You see the fullness of God is available to us. It's as simple as saying Lord I I need you. It may be that you're a follower of Christ. And and you just. Your eyes are not on Jesus. But your eyes are on your circumstances. And this morning you just want to say Lord help me to push all that stuff away. Help me not to lean on things of this world. But help me to put my faith and my trust in you. For you are with me. And I want to be with you. It may be that you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and Lord. and, And today is the day of salvation. Our God. God himself, the creator of the universe, came down, lived among us, so that we might have life and have to its full. And the Lord says to you today, I am with you. Will you choose to be with me? It could be that you've been uh, trying to live this Christian life your way walking in your light and not his light and today is the day you say Lord I I give you all that stuff help me to be obedient to the word of God to live according to biblical principles not worldly guidance to live as you would have me to live for I understand that you are with me and I'm going to put my faith and my trust in you The altars are open. Let's stand together and sing together. Turn your eyes upon Jesus.